Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, this week we continue our reading from Paul's second letter to Timothy. I'm focusing a bit on this letter because we rarely read it, rarely talk about it in the church, and it's powerful, it's a wonderful letter. I mentioned last week that Paul writes it to his young colleague in ministry, this young man, Timothy, whom he had converted to the faith and who worked with him on one of his missionary journeys. It's a terrific letter to read for anyone interested in Christian preaching and Christian life, Christian missionary work, because Paul the elder, this elder soldier, is passing on advice to his young friend. In our passage for today, Paul cuts to the chase. Listen, remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, was raised from the dead. This is the gospel I preach. Christians, the gospel, the good news, the evangel, it's not primarily the moral teaching of Jesus. Oh, that's part of it, sure. The gospels speak of Jesus' moral teaching, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is certainly not a vague spirituality, something that all religions have in common. That's a pretty popular interpretation today, but that's not what Paul means by the gospel. The good news, it's this strange and utterly surprising message that Jesus of Nazareth has been raised from the dead. Not as a fantasy, not as a wish fulfillment, not as a subjective projection, but as a fact. God has raised this carpenter, this itinerant preacher, from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Paul preaches. Listen, everything else in Christian life flows from it, returns to it, is related to it. What we preach is Jesus risen from the dead. But then Paul specifies something which might surprise us a bit. Listen. In preaching this gospel, I suffer as a criminal, even to the point of being thrown into chains. Remember, he writes this letter from prison. Because I preach Jesus risen from the dead, I've been thrown in jail. Well, you say, yeah, you might think that's a weird position to hold. You might say someone's crazy to hold that Jesus is risen from the dead, but why precisely would you throw someone like that in prison? That seems a little peculiar or over the top, doesn't it? Those who heard Paul in the ancient world, they knew something that maybe we've forgotten. That the message of the resurrection is indeed subversive. The message that a crucified criminal 
has been risen through God's power from the dead, that is a dangerous, subversive message. Well, how come? Look, the cross was the most feared reality in the ancient world. It was the most fearsome instrument of torture devised. And it was used, therefore, by the Roman state to terrorize those who were its opponents. Only the worst criminals were crucified because the death by crucifixion was so horrible, so painful, so drawn out. Often people would be on a cross for days at a time before they died. And then when they died, their bodies were not taken down from the cross, but they were left up in that public place until the birds and the animals picked away at them. The idea was to humiliate the person to the nth degree, to give him the most painful, public, and humiliating death possible. You see, Christians, the point of the cross was to say, don't mess with the Roman state. It was a kind of state-sponsored terrorism. That's what the cross was. To cow any potential enemies of Rome into submission. So, Paul comes along, and in Roman towns, he begins to say this. Jesus, who was crucified in just that way, God raised him from the dead. You see what that means? That means the power of this corrupt Roman state is broken. It means the very instrument that was used by Rome to terrorize its enemies and its opponents has been undermined. Well, it's a mockery. That's a humiliation. Not now to the person crucified, but to the state that crucified him. It means, listen, God's power is greater than any earthly power. For someone of Jesus' time, of Paul's time, what was the greatest power imaginable? Well, it was the power of the Roman state, backed up with the biggest army on the planet, backed up with a very impressive legal system, backed up with instruments of torture like the cross. That was the greatest power on earth. When Paul says, God raised Jesus from the dead, he's saying, no, there's a greater power. Now, the way that Rome orders the world, that's been supplanted, overcome by a greater ordering power. What Jesus called the kingdom of God. That's why the supreme irony of Jesus as king, Jesus as Lord. What do you mean, Lord? This crucified criminal? Yeah, that's the one. That's why when Paul says over and over again in his letters, Jesus kurios in his Greek, Jesus is Lord, those are fighting words. In the Roman world, what people heard was, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. Well, sure he is. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, of course he's Lord of the world. 
course he's the greatest power. No one bosses him around. He controls it all. No, says Paul. Through God's power, Jesus Kurios, Jesus is Lord. Well, there's a revolution in that. And Christians, that's why they put him in prison. Because he was indeed a subversive threat. It just strikes me, the cross, as Paul preached it, was a kind of taunt. The cross was meant to terrorize everybody. Well, Paul said, that's what I preach. That's what I hold up. Why? It's as though he's saying, so that's the worst you can do to us? God's power is greater than that. You think that's what's going to terrorize us? God's power is greater than any of your tricks and games. Here's a question. Is our proclamation of the Christian faith as subversive, as dangerous, as problematic? Do we make the powers of our world shake and tremble? That's a good question. It's what Paul's communicating to Timothy. Listen now how he sums this up. I love this. And this phrase is echoed up and down the Christian centuries. He says, Timothy, there is no chaining the word of God. How terrific. Where is Paul when he says that? He's in prison. He's in chains. Sure, the Roman state can chain me just as a crucified Jesus. But... But there's no chaining the word of God. God's spirit, God's power, can break all chains, can overcome even the greatest power of the world. You know, last week I spoke of Father Yerzy Papawushko. I told his wonderful story of nonviolent resistance. Can I speak now as I close this homily of another Polish priest? One, Karol Wojtyła, the man, of course, who became Pope John Paul II. Oh, he knew about the powers of the world. As a young man, when he was 19, his country was overrun by the Nazis. They gathered all the professors at his university. He'd just begun his studies. They rounded them up, took them off to concentration camps, and they killed them. The Nazis decapitated Polish society. They destroyed the intelligentsia. They destroyed the religious leadership. They imposed an oppressive dictatorship on the people. He knew about the powers of the world. And then, when the Nazis were overthrown, immediately behind them came the communists, who imposed almost as brutal a dictatorship. This man, as he entered the priesthood, knew all about the darkness of the world, all about its chains, and listen, all about the ways that it tried to cow the people into submission. But he also knew the power of this gospel that Paul preached. He also knew the power of Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. And with that power he knew he could resist all the powers of the world. And that's why, when he became Pope and went to his native country, to Poland, at the height of martial law, 
at the height of Soviet and official oppression. He knew he could win. He didn't fight with the weapons of the world, of course. Papawushko knew that. Paul knew that. He knew it. He fought with the power of the gospel. Standing before crowds of millions of people, he preached Christ crucified and risen. He preached God's love. He preached human rights grounded in the fact that we're made in the image and likeness of God. He preached these truths. And the power of that oppressive government fell. They tried in every way to stop him, just as the Romans chained Paul, just as the Romans killed Christ. They tried in every way to stop him. But Christians, there's no chaining the Word of God. John Paul knew it. As he preached to these massive crowds of millions of people, they would chant back to him, We want God. We want God. We want God. It would go on for 15 or 20 minutes. No chaining the Word of God. Once it's unleashed, it can bring down the greatest powers of the world. How wonderful that St. Paul, in his grubby first century prison, penning this letter to his young friend Timothy. Talk about nobodies in the eyes of the world. They had nothing. But boy, did Paul know the power of the gospel he preached. May we know it now, 2,000 years later. And may we, with that same courage and joyfulness and panache, proclaim it to our world. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.